0: fund uh, and uh, yeah i guess uh, there were some issues there governance matters that we've seen over the last five years uh, mm. some of which as the coca a decision was made by the national treasury to suspend mm. bonuses and incentives for some of the management uh, and uh, the courts found today that that uh, particular instruction was invalid and that the minister of finance effectively didn't have the power to make that decision
1: yeah, you're correct. So um as you're leading, it was a decision that was taken by National Treasury. And if we cast ourselves back to twenty twenty, um it was communicated by National Treasury and who had been obviously instructed the PIC um to withhold um incentive payments um until the outcome, particularly of the PIC um, Judicial Commission of Inquiry, um which took place in twenty nineteen. Um, so the executives were told um in twenty nineteen that they would be holding payments and incentives. Um, to, um, to obviously some of these executives that had been obviously put on leave or had been suspended or fired at the time. And um, so this was communicated at the time. And this affected many um, PRC um, executives and employees, um, which were obviously due to paid millions. Um, and obviously one of these employees was one um, a former head of private equity in terms of um incentive payments that he was due. Um, so that was the communication to National Treasury to the PIC. Um, however, um, the former head of private equity did take this onto the court and then to, um, in, like last week on the 18th, um, the court ruled in favor, um, of this particular person, the head of former head of private equity, um, that they need to obviously pay him and um, his amount that was due to him um, in the life of three point um, three million and um, plus interest and um, so um, the life of um, the bonuses and to executives um, that were due to him um, will obviously ha- however need to be paid to him um however, this bill um, or um, court ruling that was took which, t- which took place in the 18th of last week um, can be appealed by the PIC, um however. It was an order that was um, initiated by the National Treasury, um, who then was headed up by former um, Finance Min- Minister um, Tito yeah,
0: yeah. So, Akwana, if that appeal by the PIC, if indeed they do appeal this, is unsuccessful, does that suggest that uh, people like the former CEO, uh, Dr. Dan Machila, and you know, former CFO Macepo More, both of whom, I guess, were suspended and uh, summarily dismissed from the PIC, that they would also be entitled to uh, some of these incentives and benefits?
1: Um, I think it it, it may be a bit different from them because in terms of the communication, um, particularly towards national treasury that communicated, because they were particularly indicating that they are waiting for the outcome of that um, commission of inquiry, that report um, that was um, done or started in 2019. Um, So those that were implicated, such as, Individuals that you currently mentioned, the ex-CEO and the likes of the ex-CFO Matepo uh, uh, More, um, who are obviously implicated in the report, and um, I think they they may have a challenge in their in their ruling in the court, and um, because the the the, the commission um, did find um, that there were governance um, issues and structures um, that were um, as the loopholes that that did take place um, throughout the governance structure, so they may um, I'm sure they can take it to court, but I think their outcome may be different um, towards the former head of private equity, um, his judgment.
0: Mm, mm. And I guess, you know, uh, just on this particular one, uh, it does certainly raise questions around the relational link between the Department of Finance and this long-held tradition of having the Deputy Minister of Finance being the chair of the PIC. We'll come back to that. But also, I guess, how much power the person of the Minister of Finance would have over the PIC. Mm which is a fund manager that effectively, I guess, is providing a service to uh, public servants.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, this has always been a a debate that has been obviously ongoing um, for the past few years and obviously the influence of National Treasury um, on some of the investments or probably some of the dealings that are happening particularly to the asset management firm, the PIC. So, yeah, it, it is provide some... Um, convoluted um, challenges um, I think with that relationship um, however, particularly to this matter um, however, the, the National Treasury didn't start the PIC and obviously the PIC had obviously listened um, due to the um, finance minister obviously at the time Tito um, um obviously indicating on communicating this so um, it is a challenge that, and obviously a relationship that has always been um, challenged by the market in terms of the role and the influence particularly um, that national treasury and um, the executive, particularly to government, um, have um, particularly on the um, government employee pension fund um, asset manager.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's just away from that story and uh, head out to Kiev um, in the Ukraine, uh, where it seems uh, yeah the geopolitics uh, m- spilling over onto the markets in a very significant way. Uh, and we mm-hmm. saw last night Vladimir Putin uh, giving a late night address. Uh, and uh, also expecting, I guess, in the next 30 minutes or so as well, Joe Biden uh, to give uh, some remarks from Washington as well on the latest developments coming out of uh, Eastern Europe. We also heard the Germans uh, indicating mm. that they're not going to certify um, you know, that uh, gas facility uh, that's coming through there from Russia and uh, it's going to have massive implications, I guess, uh, for you know cost uh, pressures in the German economy and the euro economy more broadly. Your, your thoughts on this, uh, and I guess... Yeah, I mean, not only Nord Stream, but just the whole, um, the whole, I guess, implications of having a full-blown war, which might be fought mm. n- not necessarily with guns or anything like that, but um, through massive sanctions uh, on financial mm. institutions and their ability to buy Russian debt or, I guess, to extend any lending to, um, you know, separatist territory out in Ukraine.
1: Yeah, so maybe just providing some context for some of our listeners um, who obviously haven't been abreast with the developments of today, um, it's with regards to the Russian president's decision to um, send um, military support um, after recognizing separatist um, rebel incas in eastern Ukraine region, um, particularly which have heightened um, Western fears. Um, and obviously, these Western fears have triggered um, a widespread of international sanctions, um, starting with the likes of Germany today, who obviously indicated that the would halt moves to open the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that would allow Russia to bypass um, Ukrainian export exporting natural gas to Europe. And also the European Union also proposing um, various other sanctions in terms of a ban actually indicating of Russian bonds and sanctions on members and also... Um, some of the members of the Russian parliament had obviously voted in favor um, of this breakaway re- region, of supporting of the two breakaway region. Um So um, some of the European nations and also the European Union um, have obviously frozen some of these banks, in Russian banks specifically. And this is obviously coming into the market. It was obviously, the market was right today, both on the SA side and also on the global side, and also got the UK um, Prime Minister um, Boris Johnson also announcing sanctions um on five Russian banks and also high net individuals um who obviously were who obviously close to the Putin and also um were in support of this. So um how it's affected markets. Um it's been read across the board. Um global stocks did fall um, quite significantly and as you'll imagine because it's sanctions um on particularly Russia um, who obviously is quite a resource heavy um and Provider um, to various nations, um, we saw all prices, particularly Brent crude, um, touching or c- coming close to the hundred um, dollar per barrel, um, which could obviously indicate um, a seven-year uh, year high um, if it does reach that. Um, so yes, the news um, is coming um, quite nicely into the market, and um, it is putting pressure on various factors, But the likes of oil and also gold, which is obviously seen as a safe haven, um, has been. Sought after um, by investors um, as we wait on developments. As you're indicating, Joe Biden um, will be um, talking quite soon. But last night, particularly, the Biden administration um, did issue um, executive orders banning um, new investment and trade and financing by US people entities um, to the likes of numerous pandemic regions, um, particularly um, that could affect Russia. So this is a developing story. And I think in the last two years, we've all been focused on the pandemic and COVID. And we've obviously forgotten about um, the the wars that could potentially um, start taking place. And we are currently seeing uh, one that could potentially take place um, with regards to the the tensions, um, particularly in Moscow uh, and the rest of the world.
0: And what do you make, I guess, of the implication this might have just on commodity prices? I mean, a lot of people have spoken up the role of gold as a safe haven. Mm -hmm. uh, And I guess if there's a bit more uncertainty... In energy markets as well, we might see a surge not only in gold, but also in Brent crude as well.
1: Mm, yeah, so as I said, the, that price of grain crude, um, yes, it's, it's still under that $100 a barrel uh, mark. Um, but if it does um, reach it, or they will come to a seven-year high and obviously will affect affect um, exporters such as ourselves and increase our fuel prices and in starting, particularly in South Africa, start influencing our inflation numbers. Um, our inflation numbers, yes, um, there have been held quite um, tightly by the South African Reserve Bank. But if these tensions do escalate and bring crude prices do increase, um, it could put significant pressure on inflation, um, not only in South Africa, but also seen inflation globally, um, where inflation has reached peak highs, particularly in the U.S., um, with the Fed expected to increase um, interest rates, um, particularly about five, close to 5 to 10 interest rate cycles, and that, t- that effect can take place. Um, in the space of the year. So we just need to keep a, an eye on this, but it yes. will def- definitely affect us, as Africans, and also our pockets because of our dependency, um, particularly in exporting um, fuel.
0: Yeah. When we started our discussion tonight, I did indicate to our listeners that uh, two big uh, numbers coming through from uh, two uh, big players in, I guess, the industrial space, interim numbers for the supergroup and for Motors as well. So let me start off with, with Motors uh, in the automotive sector. Uh, these are the guys who uh, import and distribute uh, vehicles. Uh, they also uh, run a few dealerships and uh, do a lot of aftermarket sales as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, seeing their revenue up slightly, but earnings up in double digit territory, operating profit up 23%, uh, mm-hmm. also declaring their a 275 cents dividend up from 160 cents per share in 2020.
1: Yeah, so Motors um, Holdings um, reported the six month. Um, interim results to end of December and reported as we um, indicating quite decent numbers, um, with a reported jump of about 51% in half year profits and also due to the challenges that, um, has played not only the motor automotive industry, such as Lotus, where they currently operate, but they've indicated that they've been able to withstand, um, the recovery and, and quite a challenging period. Um, as, but they have obviously seen a turnaround as they've seen the likes of ourselves as consumers. And start buying cars again, um, so that has come to quite, 90, quite nicely, um, obviously revealing a headline only per share of about 51%. Um, however, the company, um, not only in terms of the results that they've showed, but they've made a number of acquisitions that have come to quite nicely. So, In about 2020, 2021, they acquired a UK um, business, an automotive business for about $550 million. Um The deal, particularly at the time, was them getting a footprint, um, particularly on a aftermarket business that sells um, car parts and vehicles that fall outside of the warranty um, period. Um, so that business came through quite nicely, and other acquisitions um, that they've done domestically in South Africa, um, such as the four passenger dealerships um, that they bought, uh, bought uh, particularly in last year, um, the likes of Hyundai, Midrand, um, Hyundai, Rustenburg, and many others um, that they have acquired, which has obviously enabled them to grow quite significantly. Um, however, their diversification in terms of their portfolio um, to the likes of UK, um, which is the UK business that, that they acquired, and also some of the Australian business um, that came through quite nicely, which enabled them to deliver such um, good um, numbers in terms of their operating profit and also to clear um, a dividend, as we indicated, of about 200, um, 2.75 cents per share, um, which is in a bunch improved um, from a year ago. But some of the challenges that they did highlight in the presentation um, I have, was that the market continues to be challenging, particularly um, for the consumer, um, who still remain um, fragile in terms of their um, ability to be able to um, buy cars and get credit. And also the global supply chain, um, which the, the disruptions which, which we have spoken about in this show, particularly last year, in the tail end of 2021, and however, they do see, um, opportunities, although there are challenges in the, in the market that they're operating. Uh, however, they do see, um, opportunities in terms of investment, particularly in the digitization, um, to support the change of consumer behavior and obviously to extend their eco ranges, um, across the different spectrums in terms of the market in gaining that market share. Um, so the Lotus Holdings, um, reported, um, decent numbers today. Um, share price um, in the last year has done an excess of about 50%. Um, so this is um, one of the um, Slavskine businesses that have been able to weather the storm um, in the last year and have come out um, quite significantly well.
0: Yeah, I find it quite interesting. I mean, I just heard, I guess, the one of the CEO. I think it was the CEO or the CFO of Motors earlier on today at uh, one of our sister stations talking about you know, I guess the, the supply constraints, both in the used car market and also in the new vehicles market. Uh, and some people might be suggesting that has to do with the you know, shortages in semiconductor uh, chips and all of that and global supply chain uh, constraints. Uh, but, I mean, that's had massive implications, I guess, on their margins as well, because effectively you don't have to go out and discount any of your vehicles on the showroom floor. As soon as it gets there, in all likelihood, you're probably selling it uh, at a very, very healthy margin.
1: Yeah, and that's taken place in the last few months. Um as we as consumers um have gone back to our workplaces and obviously got going back into our cars instead of working from home. Wow. Um that has come through quite nicely for them and obviously has helped the business um in the recovery stages. Um however we do um indicate that the South African consumer continues to remain um fragile um with the Increasing such as the repo rate that got increased last, um, last month. And we obviously waiting for the MPC to meet again next month. And we are expecting many more rate, h- rate hikes this year. Um, so um, the consumer is um, quite stretched and quite tight. And also with the oil prices we just mentioned, that could potentially breach um, that $100, $100 mark, um, which could p- provide further strain and could also provide further strain on the industry. Um, in terms of um, consumers um, opting for new vehicle or second hand
0: vehicle. Mm, mm. And then, if we shift our attention to, uh, I guess, the uh, freight and logistics space, the Super Group uh, revenue increasing 8.4% to 21.6 billion, and also earnings uh, increasing uh, just shy of 20% there to 190.2 cents, up from around 160 cents in the previous year. But also, I guess, this uh, set of half year numbers includes uh, for the about 4 months or so uh, the acquisition of a business in New Zealand uh, and uh, i guess uh, that is lease plan i think that's the name of the business uh, which mm. has certainly uh, i guess done uh, considerable wonders for their uh, bottom line and uh, consolidated their presence in that market because they already had uh, another offering in New Zealand and Australia i think SG fleet was the name of the group
1: yeah so um, as indicating the group um, super group um, released um, numbers today also for the year uh, ending Um, six months ending December of 2021. Um, The group um, indicated an increased revenue of about 8.4% to the end of December of 2021. Um, And this was, um, as you indicated, the acquisitions that they had done, Um, the New Zealand one, the fleet management company, um, which did better than expected in terms of um, their performance. And also the consumer-facing business, um, in South Africa also came through quite nicely. Um so the group last year um, completed an acquisition of lead plan as you indicated earlier uh, um, in September of about six point seven billion Rand, um which provides fleet management and leasing services um in the regions of Australia and New Zealand. Um particularly this acquisition um came through quite nicely as it came to in the numbers and um, the numbers it obviously inflated and boosted some of the numbers that came through this morning. And um, so the Super group um ended up um, Delivering um, quite strong numbers, not only South Africa, um, but yes, South Africa does, does generate about half of the revenue um, and a quarter in the UK and about 16 percent um, in Australia. So the consumer facing business, the CEO did indicate, um, did experience some challenges last year um, with the civil unrest in July that did take place. Um, however, it did, um, as a company, um, provide some swift action, obviously, to minimize disruptions to clients and also saw this um, company and then some of the acquisitions that took place um, performing uh, ahead of expectations um, for the company. So particularly, um, I think last year, and also outside of the acquisitions that they did um, communicate last year, but, um, there were two actually corporate actions that were, um, took place last year. Um, the first acquisition was the buyout and also delifting um, of that um, Australian fleet um, of supergroup and um, corporations, um, which was sold to a private equity consortium. And then also a buyout and also delisting of Imperial Limited. Um, both of these transactions were at a premium and excess of about 30, um, 30% yeah. um, of the pre- pre- um, prevailing share prices. Um, so this is a, a company that has come through quite nicely, and although there were not many other businesses impacted um, by the, the last two years, the pandemic, um, however, they have these quite um, decent numbers and the acquisitions um, have boosted these numbers quite
0: significantly. This is a very interesting company, Hakona. I mean, you know, it's a company which about, you know, what, 15, 16 years, well, 14, 15 years ago was probably, you know, trading at around 50 cents a share. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably trading a much, much higher than that at the moment. Um, and a big part of that has been, I guess, you know, the restructuring that happened. I mean, AutoZone used to be under the banner of the super group, I think Micah as well. Uh, And these guys have really, I guess, one streamlined the focus of this business, but effectively have also undertaken a lot of acquisitions uh, that have uh, given them new revenue lines, new opportunities to realize value.
1: Yeah, so the business, as you're indicating, has um, grown quite considerably. um, The net asset value per share um, in the last year Um, Has increased about 13%. So currently trades between 36 and 37 rand a share. Um, So it has grown quite significantly. And um, uh, there have been obviously not only shareholders, but um, activist shareholders, um, such as the likes of VCP, um, that have come into um, this particular investment and have seen the, the value unlock and the potential. Um, that particular super group does have. So um, a lot of um, shareholders and investors are quite optimistic on the trajectory um, of this business going forward and also of the earning potential um, as the business um, unlocks value, um, particularly over the long term.
0: Yeah, yeah. Akona, we're going to have to leave it there. So i always a pleasure catching up with you and uh, thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us. Thank you very much, Aya. Akwana Mlamleli, they're speaking to us from 27 for Investment Managers. We're going to take a brief break now. When we come back, we go straight into our headline segment. And it's the budget tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, Minister of Finance, Inokodongwana uh will be uh, presenting uh, the, uh, yeah, I guess the division of uh, all of the revenue that we collect, uh, where the money will be put to use, uh, and I guess uh, who needs to be paid. And uh, we're going to be talking about that uh, in our headline segment after this.